In the 1700s up to the late 1800s, various contagious diseases ravaged Europe. The importance of washing your hands and wearing a mask wasn't understood back then, and vampires were sometimes thought to be the cause of the spread of deadly viruses and epidemics. When Dracula author Bram Stoker was a little boy, his mother Charlotte used to regale him with stories of her experience of the 1832 cholera epidemic in Sligo. Have a listen to this reading. It's taken from Charlotte Stoker's own eyewitness account, which she later wrote down at the behest of her son Bram. In the days of my early youth, the world was shaken with the dread of a new and terrible plague, which was desolating all lands as it passed through them. And so regular was its march that men could tell where next it would appear and almost a day when it might be expected. It was the cholera, which for the first time appeared in Western Europe. One action I vividly remember. A poor traveller was taken ill on the roadside some miles from the town. And how did those Samaritans tend him? They dug a pit and with long poles pushed him living into it and covered him up quick alive. Severely like Sodom did our city pay for such crimes. Trenches were now cut across the roads in the direction in which the cholera was said to come, concisely for the purpose of stopping all intercourse with the infected districts. No use. No use. That extract was read by Sligo actress Trasen Nealon. And with stories and folklore like that shaping the mind of the young Bram Stoker, it's no wonder he went on to write his gothic horror masterpiece. Well, Halloween is just around the corner, and due to the pandemic restrictions, it will of course be a very different occasion this year. One event taking place to celebrate All Hallows' Eve is the annual Big Scream Festival. It's happening from this Wednesday, the 28th, through to Halloween, the 31st of October. The North East Inner City Community Festival will be running a variety of online events for people of all ages. Dublin City Council Historian-in-Residence Mary Muldowney is presenting a talk called The Beast from the East, Dracula's Ancestors and Vampire Legends from Eastern Europe. And Mary is with us this evening. You're very welcome indeed to the History Show, Mary. Thank you, Miles. You've previously given talks on the inspirations behind Dracula and on the author Bram Stoker, who lived for a time in Dublin's north inner city. But this year, you've opted for a slightly different angle in light of the COVID situation. How are you adapting? Well, I suppose it was an obvious one in the sense of thinking about how people reacted to major pandemics in the past. And then I came across various things when I was looking at the background that were just so appealing, I couldn't ignore them. And this is where uh, the emphasis on some of the theories around the cause of vampirism and its relationship to pandemics came from. So they seem to have come from from Eastern Europe. How did the superstitions evolve and why the focus on Eastern Europe? Well, 
My suspicion is that there were enough connections with Eastern Europe and with the spread of stories about various pandemics that were coming from the East, which in a sort of generic way. And a lot of the studies then that were done in the 17th and 18th century that were academic approaches, although we'd probably find them fairly laughable now. But some of those came out of Poland, Russia and Germany and slowly spread across. But there was almost a kind of imaginative barrier when you got to uh, England and Ireland because it wasn't taken quite as seriously or in the same way. So I could say maybe the, the vampire uh, suggestions for the as the basis of the spread of disease, that metaphor had died out somewhat by the time it reached us. But of course, then uh, Stoker latched onto it again at the end of the 19th century when it was a bit safer to talk about such things. But these weren't just beliefs that were held by untutored peasants, for example, because academics, including, I think, Bram Stoker's own uncle, fed into the superstitions, Mm. didn't they? Stoker's uncle William was actually the chief medical officer in the Cork Fever Hospital, and he had done a survey of kind of feverish diseases and pandemics in the 1830s after the cholera, particularly after the cholera epidemic of 1832. And he had identified quite definitively that the pandemic had come from noxious airs coming from the east. So essentially, there was poison in the air that was being swept across the continent of Europe and coming in literally on the wind. And this was accepted as a logical explanation for why cholera in particular was so virulently contagious, because you were breathing it in. In fairness to the uninitiated, though, that kind of theory has an element of plausibility about it. But why did people associate cholera with vampires? Is there any logical explanation? Absolutely none at all, except that (laughs) cholera, uh, I mean, you did ask for a logical explanation. Cholera, a very severe case of cholera, and of course there were many, especially in 1832, the face kind of sunk. So somebody who was a cholera victim, uh, their skin turned blue because the blood was more or less coagulating in their veins. I apologise to anyone for whom this is a bit gruesome, but literally the face kind of sunk and assumed a rather skull-like appearance. So you could see the association with that kind of death. And of course, Stoker had more or less been brought up on stories about the cholera epidemic from his mother and from the housekeeper where he lived. So that, you know, he was hearing about a lot, particularly of the Sligo infection. But the association with northeast and east winds was quite widely accepted. And even in Britain, where I was saying, especially in England, they were a little more advanced in terms of epidemiology and the cure for cholera more or less came from a scientist there at the end of the 19th century. But the combination really of all of these things, um, people were desperately looking for an explanation. And of course, the difficulty was that 
most of these diseases, including uh, typhus and typhoid, which did come from vampire bats emanating from India in the first place. So there was a kind of, you know, there were definite connections. All of these wouldn't have been understood in terms of contemporary understanding of medicine. So the obvious thing was to look for supernatural explanations. And was there an association between cholera and the undead, which is obviously part of the Dracula myth? Um, you yes, know, something to do yeah. around burial rituals, for example. Well, I mean, if there was a suspicion that somebody was a vampire, and this again, you can understand why a lot of, when a lot of people died, and if they, you know, poor areas, the burial process might be quite rough and it could look like a grave had been disturbed. Now, why people would have decided that the grave had been disturbed from inside it rather than outside it, that would have been because there do seem to have been a lot of documented cases, especially in the 17th and 18th century, where people had what was described as the symptoms of vampirism, that when their graves were opened up, the people still looked, the corpses looked alive, you know, that they looked relatively healthy and in some cases were actually uh, swimming in blood in the coffin. Now, whether that was related to another um, kind of disease, which we're not familiar with anymore, or that people just got carried away with the description and they grew legs across the continent, isn't really terribly clear at this stage, because, of course, the hysteria that followed on from something like this meant that the so-called investigations that were carried on by authorities, especially around the Eastern European countries, usually resulted in the destruction of the corpse. So there was no evidence then for trying to get a more scientific explanation. Um, now, we're going to have to be a bit ghoulish here because I, I want you to tell me what actually happened to the deceased if they were suspected of being a, a vampire. If anybody is of delicate disposition, they should probably stop their ears for about uh, 30 seconds or so. Well, you can always bear in mind that they were dead, so they mightn't have <laughs> <True>. too much. <laughs> but the thing was, the, the most obvious way that was what we see in the movies, you know, and various stories of the stake through the heart, which made sure that, you know, they actually were no longer, even if they were undead, that now they were dead, dead. Another way was to decapitate the corpse or in some cases to use the stake or stab the corpse, decapitate the head and then burn the whole lot. So, you know, if you were being to be sure, to be sure that some of these methods or all of them could be used. And then in Romania I came across some accounts that people Consider that a cure for vampirism was, or at least a prevention, was if you took the ashes from the burning of the corpse and rubbed it on your skin, that would prevent you from being bitten by a vampire so you were safe for the future. Now, we heard there an account from Charlotte Stoker, Bram Stoker's mother, about a poor traveller stricken by cholera in 1832, Sligo, being yeah. buried alive horrifically. Um, was she a big influence on his writing? 
Oh, I think she must have been because certainly, uh, I mean, Stoker wasn't born till well after this, but he clearly was familiar with the stories that were um, told in the household. And Stoker's mother had brought a woman with her who became the housekeeper in the house, who had was steeped in all of those local folk tales and stories. So between the combination of the horror of the cholera epidemic and then, you know, the telling of the stories, I think, you know, especially on a young child's imagination would have been quite vivid. But Stoker himself was a sickly child and a lot of the treatment that he got from his medical family, I mean, it wasn't just his uncle William, there were others in the family who were doctors. He was regularly bled. So, you know, the obvious connection there with blood and and vampires is it's inescapable, really. And there was a great Victorian fear. I suppose it's universal, but it seems to have been particularly true in the case of the Victorians, a fear of being buried alive. And they took precautions, didn't they? Well, quite often, especially if you were wealthy enough to be getting a, you know, a fairly decent tomb, um, a bell would be incorporated into it, the tomb so that if you did wake up and find that you had been buried alive, at least you could draw people's attention to it. You know, and there were various other ways of making sure that people realised that you weren't actually a corpse. But a lot of this does tend to come back to cholera in particular because of the characteristics of the disease and the effect it had on a body that you, you know, you could be unconscious and almost not breathing, but would still actually be alive. Now, we associate cholera very much with this country. When we've been talking about the 1832 epidemic, there was another one in 1849 around the time or in the wake of the famine, very, very serious epidemics. Were they happening in isolation? Were these epidemics spreading across continents? They were definitely spreading across continents. I mean, the uh, the first we hear of the um, epidemic that hit us in 1832 would have been uh, coming up to Russia from India uh, in around 1817 or 18. That may well have been, you know, soldiers still around after the Napoleonic Wars. War often brought that kind of epidemic, at least, or pandemics eventually, because uh, there were fluid populations moving across the continent. But it moved through Russia, across Poland, particularly through Germany, uh, eventually reaching uh, Britain in 1831, and then came into Dublin and Belfast in the early part of 1832. And by the summer and the autumn was really, had taken, you know, was all over the country and some horrific outbreaks. And of course, not only was Stoker hearing the family stories, especially of the Sligo outbreak, but when he was a young adolescent, he would have been living in Buckingham Street, where, which was not too far away across the road almost, of a very poor slum area where the effect of cholera literally killed thousands. 
Now, there was a lot of interest, obviously, in vampires. And you, in your research, I think, have come across some publications you would necessarily associate with an interest in vampires. Publications jumping on the bandwagon. One of them was a French fashion magazine, which seems really odd. It is, isn't it? Yeah. This was about 1721, I think it came out. And it was called Mercure Galant. And it was entirely devoted to clothes for the most part. But suddenly there's this article identifying the characteristics of vampires. But it's also a time when, you know, there were a lot of studies being done. There was even consultation of, uh, I think it was Pope Benedict the 14th and various, you know, eminent characters like that who were being asked for their help in dealing with outbreaks of vampirism. And they were taken seriously. Authorities, local authorities would, would have sent out teams to investigate. Usually what happened would be that the rumour would start around a possibly relatively isolated rural village or somewhere like that where you can imagine it developing. But, I mean, in in many cases, the investigating group would be accompanied by an executioner. So just in case they did have, uh, they found the actual evidence, well, then they'd be ready to chop off the head of the offending corpse. By the time Stoker published Dracula, which was in 1897, were people as scared of diseases like cholera as they had been? No, because by then, you know, the main cure really was cleaning up the water. And public sanitation, even, you know, in in cities that still had a lot of such problems like Dublin. But uh, in London in particular, there was a doctor called John Snow who identified the cause of the bacteria, which was this uh, bacillus floating in the water. And uh, he invented a pump that could be used for you know, public distribution of water, because, of course, an awful lot of poor people would certainly wouldn't have had household sanitation. They would have had to go out and uh, pump water from a local pump into buckets or whatever. So they were bringing the diseases home with them. When I think it was 1897, when Dracula was finally published, by then it was sort of a free song about what might have been, but nobody was taking it as serious as they might have done you know, 50 years previously. Do you expect that we have a modern day Bram Stoker sitting down at the moment to write about the current pandemic? Oh, I imagine so, yes. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it's just begging to be written about. So uh, how it's treated, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. But uh, I mean, in recent years, there obviously has been an awareness that we were likely to be attacked. I mean, some fairly unlikely people in some ways, I think Bill Gates predicted it about 10 years ago, that, you know, a microbe would be the most dangerous thing that could get to us because... It's not obvious in coming in and its attack. So, you know, there have been movies, there have been books all about contagion. And it it is an obvious subject for fiction at the very least. But, of course, there will also be lots of learned stuff as well. 
Mary Muldowney, thanks for joining us this evening. Mary will be talking more about superstitions surrounding vampires and viruses as part of the Big Scream Halloween Community Festival, which starts this Wednesday. Mary's online talk is at 12 noon on Wednesday. See bigscream.ie for details. That Charlotte Stoker account of the 1832 cholera epidemic in Sligo will also feature in this free festival. Another event we wanted to highlight takes place this Thursday evening, the 29th of October, when uh, Bram Stoker's great-grandnephew, Dacre Stoker, will be hosting a live Zoom presentation in which he will give an intimate portrait of Dracula and his enduring appeal in popular culture over the past century. Very interesting, very scary, I have no doubt. You'll find details at bigscream.ie. We'll put that link as well as the Zoom link for the Dacre Stoker talk on our website.